Hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors on staff here. I have the unique privilege of being the lead pastor. I also want to welcome you if you are a guest here with us. I know that there are people that um, are here uh, at times because I used to be on staff. And you're coming back and you're like, is, who is this guy? Is he the same? Is he different or whatever? If you're, if you're returning to new life just to check out what's happening, I want to say welcome. Thanks for coming. Um, we do have a report card. It's called Jeff at newlifecarney.org. Um, you can email me with any of your thoughts, all right? Uh, it doesn't really matter what it is. It could, be, it could be really, really good, or it could be something you really just don't like. And I'll still respond to you in the same loving, kind way. So, how do you like that? That's my promise to you, all right? Um, so, anyways, listen, we are in week four of our current teaching series. This is four of four. This is the last week in our current series that I've entitled Vision. Really, we've been looking at the first seven to eight chapters of Joshua. Joshua's in the Old Testament. Um, you can find that. If you have your smartphone or your tablet device, please log on to our free wireless that's here. Um, the wireless indicator is just New Life. Uh, you can hop on there and then you can use your, your Uversion app and you can track along with us today with all the scriptures and notes. You'll also notice in our Uversion app today that there are a couple of polls, all right? One is just a frivolous question at the beginning. Please answer it. Just have fun with it. And the one at the end, you'll understand better as my message wraps up how to use that. So if you're using version, it's just a special tool to help you grow in the knowledge of who Christ is and what God wants to do. So week four, we want to talk a little bit about being battle ready. That's today's message. Now we live in Nebraska. We live in a football state, all right? Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, a lot of you guys know about this particular team called the Huskers, um, and there's probably many of you that like football. My wife actually loves football more than me. In fact, I, uh, hockey season just got over, which is my sport, okay? And I know I won't even ask. I won't even ask. Are there any hockey fans? Because it would be cricket. Oh, wow. Man, okay. Well, then I need to start driving with that thing. I need to, like, get us to become a hockey church. Okay. So, <clears throat> we in the middle of Nebraska can become a hockey church instead of a football church. But... I know that football is the predominant sport. My wife even asked me as uh, the NHL Stanley Cup wrapped up um, and a good team, a team that I love, the Blackhawks won. At the end of the game, my wife turns to me and she says, now, I watched all of this season with you. Are you you're going to watch football with me, right? And I'm like, oh, she got me. She got me. <clears throat> I don't really like, I don't really watch a lot of football. It, it just is it's too slow. It's just, you know, every, every day they play a play and then they huddle around and hug each other and then they go back and they do it again and then they hug each other. And I just, it's too much hugging for me. So, um, just keep playing the game, you know, just run back to the ball, hike it and keep going. I'm more of that kind of a guy, but I know in football I played and I was the quarterback and I, I did love it when I was in high school. One of the things, if you've ever watched a sports, um, movie and you've watched it about football, you'll always see that, that, that the coach, the coaches do something in between the games, all right? Not only do they drill their players in practice, but they take time to watch the film of the next team they're going to play, right? They watch, the, they watch the film of the next team they're going to play from the previous games that they've played. They contemplate, you know, what, how they've changed and what game plan they, got, they have to come up with. Every, every week is a different game plan. It's a different team. Same plays, same player, different game plan. In fact, a football team, especially in the, uh, the NFL, they'll play the same 
in college as well, but they'll play the same teams over and over and over again. But at that, NA, at that NFL and at that college level, they'll go back and they'll study just as hard for the team that they play year after year after year because they know that that team changes from year to year. So the point is, no matter who they play or how many times they play them, they give it the due diligence of searching out what the strengths and the weaknesses of that team are so that they can come up with the proper game plan. It's all about the game plan because they want to win. We are at a point where we, <clears throat> we do what we call church. We are the church. My job as a pastor to help equip the church, to equip the saints and to send us out into the harvest field to reach the lost and to live our lives the way Christ commanded us to live. But even though we come here week after week, you do realize that we can't just repeat what we've done. There are some churches that you come in and you know the exact, the exact strategy. You know the exact game plan. You can track with it word for word, section for section. You know what's going to come and what to do. That's, that to me is not a biblical model of what God's called us to do. We don't come here Sunday after Sunday just to have a couple of songs and have a greeting and then have a sermon and then have three songs and then have a wrap-up. That's, that's the parameters that we live in. But it won't be that way every week. It won't be that way because we have to seek God every Sunday. We have to seek God during the week. There's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of game planning that goes into preparing for everything that we do every single week. Now, I'm going to push hard to be a leader like that. I'm going to push hard to be a leader that tries to stay out of ruts. But isn't it true for humanity? We all drift to ruts, don't we? All of us drift to ruts. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that when it comes to following God's game plan, you can't let your life get into a rut. You can't go week to week just thinking that what worked last week is going to work this week. And that being satisfied on what God spoke to you last month in His Word and that that is going to somehow sustain you for the rest of the year. There needs to be inside of all of us what's inside of that head coach, which says, I'm going back to the drawing board, and I'm seeking out what truth is so I can win the game. And the battle plan for us is, I want to encourage you, don't get satisfied in what God spoke to you yesterday. Be hungry for what God's speaking to you today, for today. Don't get stuck in what God's Word said yesterday and just gets hung up there all the time. You've got to stay hungry and keep moving forward. We can't be people that just relax on what we know about God. We have to be people that realize tomorrow is a new game. Tomorrow, the Bible says that God is new every morning. We've got to be people that are willing to seek Him and be hungry for Him. And along with that, we're, we're, we're looking at things here at the church. This is a new day, you know, with new leadership, and we feel like God's brought this moment. So we're evaluating every ministry. Every ministry is going gonna, is gonna to get a thorough look. We're going to evaluate it. We're going to assess, you know, what, what, does it fit where we're going now? Not that was it a bad ministry or is it a good ministry. It just doesn't fit where we're going. We're trying to simplify new life back to a core value of what we sense God's saying. That's going to take some time. It's going to take a couple of years to really get that entire ship turned. So in the future, you may find that some ministries are no longer with us. That doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that for today's game plan, we need to make some changes. And there'll be new ministries that'll come online. That's because it's a new day and it deserves a new game plan. And with our staff, our staff, the team that God's brought us, 
the shiftings and changes that are happening amongst our, our staff to do one thing, and that's to get people into their A game, putting them in the right slot, putting them where they belong, putting them where they can thrive, putting them where we can win the game. And I'm doing all those things, trying to focus on that, but I'm trying to do it through the power and the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I know for sure that the future victories of new life are not going to be won the way the past victories have been won. I know that. I know that I can't just say, well, you know, this is the way Bob did it, so this is the way we're going to do it. Now, I will say this to you, because this is smart. You should stop for a moment if you're in my shoes and go, now, what would Bob do? (laughs) Right? How would he do that? That's wisdom. Wisdom says you think and you contemplate and you consider and you put yourself into the shoes of those that you consider to be wise and they're beyond you in their years and you respect that. You might even call them and ask their opinion. But in the end, in the end for us as a church, we have to move forward in a game plan or a battle plan to be battle ready by saying we know that future victories aren't going to be won just by following the past strategies. So what do we have to do? We have to be intent on following the voice of the Holy Spirit above all others. That is what I'm commissioning in my heart. That's what I'm commissioning in our staff. That's what's going to get commissioned into the hearts of our life group leaders and down to our team leaders and even down to you. Because I know that all of us have battles that we have to face. You have personal battles that you're facing that you have to win. Some of you, you've got battles in your marriage. And right now, Hell itself is trying to rip your marriage apart. It's trying to send the husband one way and the wife the other way. And there's great separation, like a, like a log splitter that's trying to divide the two of you. And there's a battle that's going on there. And down deep in your heart, you know you have to win. Where are you going to find the answers to that? You're going to find the answers through the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, He may direct you to a counselor. He may direct you to a book. He may direct you in very simple plans that you need, that you need to follow. But I know this, in the end, if it's not the voice of the Holy Spirit, then the, then the splitter that goes into the log or is dividing the husband and the wife only continues to go deeper. Because the Holy Spirit is the only one that has the true strategy for the battle that you're facing. For some of you, you're facing the battles of addiction. The, the battles of addiction, they got a hold of your soul. And they're waging war inside of you. And they may have a hold of your mind and they're waging war inside of you. And you're trying to find freedom from those things. I'm telling you, your answer lies in finding the strategy of the Holy Spirit and what He wants you to do. And that, guys, doesn't always come easy. That takes discipline. Sometimes that's a lot of prayer and that's a lot of fasting. Sometimes that's seeking the advice of people that have good wisdom, but then bringing it back to a house of prayer before God and say, God, what are you saying to me? Sometimes that's that's sitting on your knees, kneeling down, whether physically or just in your heart, and just going, God, I refuse to move forward unless you speak. I refuse to take action unless you speak to me. Some of you are dealing with, you know, the battles of your resources. Are you going to give up what you've created? Some of you, you've been successful businessmen, and God's asking you to take a leap of faith and to give him part of that business. Or that you have incredible talents, and God's asking you to share those talents to make his kingdom, you know, a better place. But you're, you're, being, you're battling the selfishness of just maintaining you and keeping your free time. And God's going to ask you for those things. And the battle's won by being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Financial issues. I know some of you, you need a miracle. 
you're weighed down and you're overloaded and you don't really know where to turn or what to do. And the battle is won through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Education demands on some of you. You know it. It's beating at your back door. You know you need to move forward and get that degree or you need to accomplish this course or accomplish this task educationally so that, so that future doors can be opened. But you just don't know how to manage your time to get there. You don't know how you're going to balance everything. God has the answer. No matter what battle you're facing, and from week to week it might look different, month to month, year to year, season to season in your life. You can't relax on yesterday's victory to accomplish today's battle. That's not the way it works. You can learn from yesterday's, but you've got to go back to the Holy Spirit and seek His face. Seek His wisdom on what He has to say to you. We want future battles many times to be won just like the past. And here's the reason why. It's easy. (laughs) We know that. We know that battle plan. We've got it mapped out. We already know the steps that it's going to take. We already know the sacrifice it's going to take. That's why we always want the past, because it's easy. I don't have to exert the same effort. But to win our future battles as a church and as an individual is going to require us to abandon ourselves. Abandon. Meaning give up all other. Abandon. Turn away from everything else. Abandon. Put 100% trust in. Abandon. Give yourself completely to the leadership and the voice of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be battle ready? It means to be abandoned to the voice and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's where I believe that this Joshua passage is leading us. The Israelites obviously had found themselves with a new leader, Joshua. Joshua had tried two critical things. Number one, follow God's word as he spoke it to Moses. Number two, follow God's voice. He continued to seek God's voice. That's what I love about Joshua. So all the way through chapters 1, all the way through 8, and continuing on through Joshua, that's what you find Joshua winning at. But there were three phases of Joshua's leadership that that we're going to see here today. Three phases that started from when he was empowered all the way through chapter 8, and then for the rest of Joshua, phase 3 really is what he follows. Phase 1, though, was Joshua had to learn You know, he had to lead the people, excuse me, he had to lead the people across the Jordan River. That was a huge feat. Remember, it was was at flood stage. Um, It was raging. You know, how do you get a million people across a river? And he had to trust God that the river was going to dry up. That was a great feat of leadership that day. That was phase one, to get them across the river into the promised land. Phase two of his leadership came when Joshua was challenged to be a man that would lead the people to become pure in God's eyes. Pure in God's eyes. Remember? That was last week. He circumcised all the fighting men, left themselves completely vulnerable with an enemy two miles away. Those were phase one and two. Cross the river, trust me, Joshua, and now walk the people into a place of holiness. Phase three, and all the rest of Joshua, is Joshua, lead the people in being battle ready. For the rest of Joshua, their entire mission is to drive out the enemy in the promised land and occupy the land that God's given them to be battle ready. In fact, when Joshua crossed the river, he went over with 40,000 fighting men. This is what Joshua chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 say. Joshua actually already had this kind of thing in motion right from the beginning. In Joshua 4, verse 12, it says, The armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh led the Israelites across the Jordan. Just 
as Moses had directed. These armed men, about 40,000 strong, were ready for battle. And the Lord was with them as they crossed over to the plains of Jericho. This battle-ready attitude, Joshua knew from the beginning, he had to be prepared for it. So 40,000 men, they go across the river, and they're armed for battle. They got their swords, they got their bows, they got their shields, they got their spears, they got their armor on. They march across first, and they stand there going, all right, who's going to attack? Because I'm going to defend you off while all my people cross over. He knew that. Now, no one attacked at that time. And it wasn't until we get to Joshua chapter 6 that anything really dramatic, like an attack, really has to happen. So why did they do this? Why did they lead over with 40,000? Why is it that God's bringing Joshua to face three of his leadership being battle ready? That's because enemies live in the promised land. There are more enemies that live in the promised land that God's given to the Israelites than I have time to mention to you right now. More names that end in ites than I can even remember. You have to read Joshua just to be amazed at how many Kings, kingdoms, cities, villages, battles that Joshua has to win. There is one day later on in Joshua that's just going to blow your mind away. You've got to read the rest of Joshua if you really want to see what all goes down in this guy's life. You're going to be amazed at what God does. But there are more enemies than I have time to mention. In fact, 40 years before this moment that we're going to talk about today, in Joshua chapter 6, 7 and 8, 40 years before this, Moses sends spies into the land. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses sends the spies and they come back and they say, Moses, we can't take the land. I mean, listen, you don't understand, Moses. There are cities that are fortified. They've got amazing walls. They raise chariots on the walls. Jericho, which they're getting ready to battle in chapter 6. There are great enemies there. In fact, we even see giants living in the land. We can't do it. And the people turned away and they went back into the desert for 40 years. Enemies live in the promised land. What are the enemies, though? The enemies for you and me today are our challenges and our obstacles to accomplishing God's promise. Every one of us has challenges and obstacles. In fact, I would be as bold as to say this, that every promise from God comes with its challenges and its obstacles. In Joshua chapter 6, Jericho was their very first enemy, their very first challenge, their very first obstacle. Jericho stood between them and the promised land. Jericho was a fortified city with fierce warriors. Look at Joshua 6.2. This, this verse is both a blessing and a curse to Joshua. The Lord says to Joshua, here's the blessing. I have given you Jericho and its king. Here's the other part, though. And all its strong warriors. Jericho was a town filled with strong warriors. Joshua was going to have to face them. Enemies living in the promised land. God had given them a battle plan. A battle plan. And it might have sounded crazy. God said to Joshua, march around the city walls once, right, for six days. Every day, march around at once. March around with all of your fighting men. March around carrying the ark and march around with seven priests that are blowing horns. All right? Here's one of the horns that they were blowing. Something like this. All right? Now we call this thing a shofar. Um, Some people think that you could still blow this and somehow it's going to honor God. And I'm telling you right now, it's just a ram's horn, all right? There's nothing about this to be worshipped, although some cultures still do. This is the Old Testament. But to make it New Testament, to bring it up to date, um, we've got our very own Rick Mitchell, all right? Trumpet extraordinaire, all right? Coming. I put him on the spot. Yes. 
Guys, I'm telling you, this is no easy thing to blow. That's a small mouthpiece. Let's hear what it sounded like. They marched around, all right, and they blew these things. So, all right. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, not bad. <laughs> he wanted to know if we wanted him to take a solo. Uh, no. Um, that's it. That's what they would do. They would blow it like that, and uh, they said, okay, now march around, right, march around once for six days and blow these things continuously. I mean, if you don't blow this right, it makes you really lightheaded, doesn't it? It takes a lot of air to blow through this thing. So here's these seven priests. They're marching around blowing this horn. You know, can you imagine what the people inside of Jericho are thinking to themselves right now? Who are these foolish people that are just marching around blowing the horns? This is driving me up a wall. They said that Joshua woke up early in the morning and he got everybody ready and they marched around. Then God tells him on the seventh day, on the seventh day what I want you to do is I want you to march around it seven times, blowing the horn. So they blow it and they blow it and They'll blow a little short blast. And then all of a sudden, I'll tell you, Joshua, I'll tell you when the priest should blow this, but I want them to blow just a really long blast. And when they blow a long blast, then I want the people to shout. And if you've been around church at all, you've heard a story out of Joshua chapter chapter 6. And as the people shouted, the walls came down. The walls, they, they fell. Yeah. I can only imagine that some of the people in the camp that are doing this for seven days in a row had to been saying to one another, we've never won any battles this way before. Or, this really makes us look foolish. I can't believe he has us out here walking around. Can you see those guys up on the wall and they're laughing at us if you've watched any VeggieTales, right? No, oh, you silly people. This doesn't make any sense. How can walking around blowing the ram's horn not, how could that do anything? This doesn't make any sense. Or, this is impossible. Hmm. When we look at God's battle plans, many times our human instinct is to make those types of statements. It doesn't make any sense. This makes me look foolish. This, this is not the way we've done it before. How are we going to win this way? How is this battle plan even going to make sense? Some of you are in a situation right now where maybe you've prayed and you sought God. I'm telling you, the answer to your battle is found through prayer. Maybe you've prayed and you feel like God's giving you an answer and you're just going, this sounds foolish. This is going to make me look dumb. If I do this or I follow this, how is this ever going to work? I just can't imagine. This thing, this really seems impossible. Sometimes the answer to your, your battle is going to sound ridiculous. Sometimes the answer to your battle is going to sound radically different than what you were looking for. I'm challenging you today. Just like I'm challenging myself. Our future Battles are going to be won. Our enemies are going to be defeated. Our obstacles are going to be overcome. Our challenges, we're going to navigate around them if we're willing to just perhaps say, God, you are right, and I, you know better than me, and I choose to follow you. Yeah. But we've got to fight to remain humble because the more battles that we win, the more confident we become in ourselves. Isn't that right? The more battles I win, the more confident I become. I have to trust God for today's battle plan or the enemies won't be defeated. The Israelites, though, they had a hard time of just following through with God's battle plan. And so what they ended up doing was they ended up really deviating from God's plan. That's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate when you deviate from God's plan. 
Um, they followed the first part really well, and the walls fell down, and they, they raced in, and they started conquering the land, and God had given them some very strategic things. He told them to do really two things, go in and destroy everything and everyone living in the city. The second thing God told them to do was go collect all the silver, all the gold, all the bronze, all the iron, and put that into the Lord's treasury. Now, God told them to do these things, and he said, listen, these are simple plans. That's all I want you to do. I want you to go destroy, move out everybody out of, this, out of the city, and knock down all of its walls, and I want you to take everything that's valuable and bring it into my treasury, because I want to use that in the future to expand you and to bless you. Simple plans, right? In Joshua chapter 6, verse 18, God says to him about those plans, these words, though. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction. Don't take any of those things. Leave it all lay there, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you'll bring trouble on the camp of Israel. But one family couldn't help themselves. They had to take it. And in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, it says, But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen from these um, dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan had taken some of the silver. He had taken some of the gold. He had taken a robe, and he had buried it underneath his tent. He had kept it for himself because he thought his plan was better than God's plan. Isn't it true that us as humans find it hard just to follow the plan sometimes? I know for me it's hard. Like, I remember back when my kids were little and we would go to a place like Walmart or Target and you would go buy furniture, right? You go and you buy the furniture that comes in a box that weighs a 1,000 pounds. You've got to have four people to move and when you get it to your house, you don't know how to get it out of your own car and get it in. So you slide it up the steps and you drag it into your living room, and now you have to replace your carpet as it's ripped it up all the way in. So this $200 piece, dollar piece of furniture is now costing you more, and you open up the box, and it's almost like it's spring-loaded and pieces go flying everywhere. And then you got a bag that's full of little dowel rods and glue and other miscellaneous hardware that you've never seen before with an instruction manual that's the size of the United States map, and you're trying to unfold this thing and take a look at it. And if you're a man then what you do pretty much is you fold that thing back up and throw it in the trash and you go, I'll build this. Right? About 3 o'clock, about 3 in the morning while you're in your living room and you're yelling and your wife's going, you should just follow the plans. You know, you know that doesn't work very well. Then you're in my office talking about marriage counseling. So because we didn't follow the plans, I'm putting the desk together. But hey, the same thing goes true with, with uh, some of you women. You know, I mean, I've, I've known a lot of women that, you know, you've tried to, you've gotten a recipe, and you, were, you just have, all you have to do is follow the recipe. A little bit of sugar, a little bit of flour, a little bit of the secret thing, cinnamon or whatever it was, bake it at X amount of degrees for so much time in the right amount, the right size pan, and what do you do? You look at the recipe and you go, I know how to make that better. It needs a little more butter. Or it needs to be whipped longer. Or it needs to be baked at a couple more degrees hotter. I know how to make it better, right? So no matter who we are, we have a hard time following the plans. Human, that's who we are. That's where Achan finds himself. When God, when God speaks, we're not given the freedom to follow our independent plans. Hear me today. Our, our ideas never make God's plans better. Our ideas are never going to make God's plans better. But God's ideas will always make our ideas better. It never works the other way around. You never go to God, wow, God, that's a great plan. Let me tell you something that would make it better. You don't do that. It doesn't work. 
But the flip side of it does. God, this is my idea. What are your thoughts? And then God speaks into it, and your idea always, always becomes now God's idea. We must fight to stay focused on God's plan and not ours. Yes, are we going to drift into it? Yeah, we will. Personality is going to drift into our future? Yep. You know, are you going to be tempted to deviate from God's plan? You better believe it. But we have to fight to listen to the Holy Spirit more than our soul. See, that's where Achan blew it. Achan listened to his soul, and his soul said, get some silver and gold while you can. His spirit was definitely telling him, follow God's plan. When you follow your soul, you'll always deviate from God's plan. When you follow your mind, will, and emotions, when you follow what you think is right, you're always going to deviate. And you're going to end up in a, in a desperate situation Wondering to yourself, where did God go? And the whole time God said, I, I stopped over here when you, when you stopped following my plan. I've been waiting for you to come back and to get synced up with me again and to go where I'm going. That's what I've been waiting for. So we have to be battle ready. And battle ready means we follow the voice of the Holy Spirit and we don't deviate from God's plan. Achan decided, though, to listen to his soul and therefore he deviated from God's plan and that brought a great consequence. And the consequence was this, they lost the battle. They didn't lose Jericho, but shortly after Jericho, they went to the next community, which was Ai. That's spelled A-I, just so you can be a Bible scholar. They spied the village, all right? They spied out the village, and this is what the spies came back and said. Oh, Joshua, listen, man. After what we just did to Jericho, just check this out. This, we don't need to hardly take anybody. In fact, I think we can just take 3,000 men, and we can go conquer Ai. Let everyone stay at home, relax, barbecue, hang out with their family, go to the lake that weekend, just chill out. It's going to be really cool. So Joshua goes, okay, absolutely. Yeah, Jericho was easy. Send 3,000. So they send the 3,000 so that everyone else can relax. And here's what happens in Joshua chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. So so approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai, they chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries. And they killed about 36 who were retreating down a slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events. And their courage melted away. This was the first loss that they'd experienced in the promised land. It came as a shock to them. It came as a surprise to them. In fact, the Bible even said that their courage melted away. Is that where God wants us to be when God's calling us into a into a promise? Is that what God wants us to feel like when he moves us into our future? Is that the way God wants you to feel when you're facing that marriage issue or that addiction issue or that resource issue that God wants from your life? Is that the way God wants you to feel that your courage is melting away? No. That's the consequence of deviating from God's plan. Your courage, your self-confidence in God, it melts away. Why? Because you've taken the ownership on yourself off of God's shoulder, you put it on yours, and now it's not working, and you have nowhere else to turn but to look at you and to blame you. When you deviate from God's plan, I'm telling you, one of, the, one of the downsides, one of the places you lose is your courage in God starts melting away. Look, this even happens for leaders. Look what happened in Joshua's life, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 7. So Joshua cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? Only we had been content to stay on the other side. Wow. How many times have you ever felt this way towards God? God, why? Why did you lead me to this town? Why did you lead me into this marriage? God, why did you, why did you cause this thing to happen? God, why did you lead me to this place and then now just 
like you abandoned me and now I'm here all alone. Like I'm going to die. I'm going to be surrounded. I'm going I'm to be buried in my own destruction. Well, God, why would you leave me? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like God forsakes you? That God turned his back on you? That God walked away from you? you ever been that, in that situation like Joshua was? It is the consequence of deviating many times from God's plan. You've deviated from God's plan. There's only one solution. And that is repent, come back, pick up from where you left off, and start journeying with God again. That's the only way to get back. It's the only way. When you're tempted to deviate, one of the things that I want you to consider is the thing that God told Joshua in the very first week. Remember what he told him? It was the title of our sermon. It's called Joshua Be Strong and Courageous. What was the premise that he told him to be strong and courageous on? Be strong and courageous because I'm faithful. When you're tempted to deviate from God's plan, one of the greatest things you can use to help keep you on course is to remember God's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful today. Because many times when you're tempted to deviate because you don't feel like things are happening at the pace that you want them to, the speed that you want them to, they're not happening with the detail you thought it should happen. You dream up a plan of the, what you think should take place. And when it doesn't happen the way you thought it ought to, you want to jump in and grab control of it. And one of the ways you can stay on course is to remind yourself, God's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful today. But when you deviate from God's plan, and by the way, you will, don't let the little defeats remove you from the battle. Don't let those small defeats. The Israelites had a very small defeat. They lost 36 men out of 3,000. They crossed over with 40,000. That wasn't even all their fighting men. That was just a portion of them. All the rest of them were used carrying all the heavy gear. They've got hundreds, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000 fighting men. They lost 36. Many times in our lives, we deviate from God's plan because we lose in the small victories. I mean, small battles. We lose in the small things, and then we just blow up and we give up. We just, we explode. We, we just can't fathom that anything went wrong. And in our, in our personal lives, sin. Some of, the sm- some of the sin in our lives that keeps repeating itself ends up destroying us because it's small, and it's something that you're dealing with, but you don't feel like God's teaming up with you, and you're trying to take control of it and trying to take charge of it and trying to change it, and it's not happening, and you let something small destroy it all. And that's what Joshua's doing. Joshua's in this place where he's letting the small defeat overcome him. He's, he's losing his perspective that God's been faithful in the past and God will be faithful now. Let me tell you something. God wants to win the battles in your life. He wants to win them. The issue is, are you going to allow him to? If you've deviated from God's plan, it's not going to win. You're going to have to deviate back to God's plan if you want God to win. So, God will never waste your defeats if you allow him to. That's the same thing that God offered to the Israelites. God offered and he provided grace to them. While Joshua was praying, while Joshua was praying to God, this is what God said to Joshua in verse 13 of chapter 7. He says, Joshua, get up. Get up off your knees. Get up off this moment of prayer. This is not prayer. This is complaining. Get up from this place and command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things that set apart, that set you apart from the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. Until you remove them. 
So God says to him, basically, go and purify yourself. God made a way for his people to deviate back to his plan. That's called God provided grace. God provided grace to them so they could deviate back to his plan. He tells them, free yourself from this by just giving back the items that you stole. Now notice something, that God says, I'm going to do this tomorrow. Why did God say, I'm going to do this tomorrow? Why didn't God just do a classic God thing and go, I'm going to do it now? It's my time. This is my world. You're my people. I'm going to do it now. Why do you think God said, tomorrow, purify yourselves because tomorrow I'm going to do this? I believe that one of the key reasons why he did it was because he was trying to give Achan a moment to repent. Tomorrow, I'm going to do it. Aiken, you know you're the one. You're the only one in your family. This is your big moment. You can repent. Aiken chooses to keep his big mouth silent as if God wasn't going to find him out. Wow. Big, bad mistake. When God offers grace, our response should be, thank you, God, and we take it. Don't hesitate. You take it, and you run with it, and you grab a hold of it, and you go, okay, God. What do I need to do to become battle ready? And that's what Joshua's response was. Joshua followed God through that passage in Joshua chapter 7, all the way to the point where God said, okay, it's Achan, and Achan, it's your family. And for Joshua to get the people battle ready again, Joshua literally had to go, and he had to put Achan to death and all the things that Achan loved. And in that act of purification, God came and he goes, now you're ready Again, it, what, did, it, what did Joshua have to do? He basically had to get the Achan out of the hearts of the people. What's, what's keeping you from conquering the enemies that are, that are right in front of you, the challenges and the obstacles? It could be the Achan. It could be the sin that's inside of your heart. And are you taking God's grace, the death of Christ on the cross, are you taking that and running with it and going, okay, God, I will follow you. If you're here today and you've yet to give your life to Christ, you're here today and you're, you know, you're living a selfish life just going, I'm going to live life the way I want to. I'm telling you today, grace is in this place. Grace is here today. God's given his life on a cross for you so that you can have relationship with him. I'm challenging you today. Consider today who you're going to serve. Follow God, accept his grace. Because when the Israelites surrendered and accepted God's grace, they became battle ready and then victory was theirs. In Joshua chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, it says that the Lord, then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all of your fighting men and attack Ai. How many of them? All of them, not just 3,000. For I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time, you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind, behind the town. And God ended up giving them victory. Why did God give them victory? He gave them victory because they accepted his grace. They repented. They deviated from their humanistic plans. They came back to God's plan. God shows up in a powerful way, and he gives them victory. Week one of this teaching series, be strong and courageous. Why be strong and courageous? Because God was needing you to be strong and courageous so he can make you battle ready. Week two. Week true, cross over the river, crossing over, crossing over the river and trusting me for something that's better and greater than what you can do on your own, to know that I'll be faithful. I've been faithful in the past, I'll be faithful in the future. Why? So that you can be battle ready. 
Week three, purify your heart. Why purify your heart? Because if your heart's not purified, then you're not battle ready. Because I'm going to tell you, in your life and in our church's life, the future holds challenges and obstacles that are standing between us and God's promise for our lives. Standing between us and God's best for our lives. Each of us are responsible to conquer those challenges and those obstacles. But to know this, God is with us. He hasn't forsaken us. He'll be faithful today like he was faithful in our past. And we can look into our past for the past number of years of new life, and we can know that God's been faithful then. He'll be faithful in our future. You can look into the past lineage of your family. You can look into the past of your own personal journey with God and go, God's been faithful in my past. God will be faithful in my future. If you hang on to that, then you will remain battle-ready. And today I want you to know that as your lead pastor, I want to lead our church to maintain a battle-ready mindset knowing that there's obstacles and challenges that we'll have to figure out. We'll trust the Holy Spirit to give us the answer so that we can keep moving forward and grab a hold of God's best. But today, what I'm asking you and me is this. What challenges and obstacles are you faced with today? What are they? What are you just running into right now? Whatever that is, seek the voice of the Holy Spirit today. He'll give you the answer for that. Where have you deviated from God's plan Whatever that is, get up, purify yourself. Take the aching, take the sin, and lay it down before God and say, God, here I am. I just want to follow you. We have to be battle ready because the challenges and obstacles ahead of us need to be overcome so that we can be the church that this world would know. They can run, they can come, and they can find hope and salvation in God's grace through Christ. We have to be battle ready. Be strong and courageous. Trust God to cross over the most difficult things you've ever faced. Work on purifying yourself before God so that we can win the battles and see other people come to know who Christ is as their personal Lord and Savior. Why don't you stand with me today? Let's pray. Father, as we move into a time of just responding to you, there's people that are in this room that Lord, they need to accept your grace and make you Lord and leader of their life. Lord, there are others in this room that have deviated from your plan. That Lord, they need to get up. They need to purify themselves. They need to lay down the sin that's in their life and run towards you. Lay down their own ideas and just run towards you, God. Lord, there, there are people that are here today that are face-to-face with challenges and obstacles that seem greater than what they are. seems like it's going to destroy them. The weight of it is too much. Lord, they need the solution. They need the battle plan. Lord, you have that in your heart. You had that for Joshua. Lord, you, you had that for our church underneath uh, Bob and Connie's leadership. You, you have that for our church today. You have that for their own personal lives today. If we'll only call on the voice of the Holy Spirit and seek your face, Lord, you'll give it to us. Lord, you want us to win. You want us to win the battle. Lord, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. As we seek God today, as we seek God today, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit over your soul. Follow Him. That's how you're going to be battle ready. Let's pursue God.